You know that phrase, you had one job, just one job, right? Uh, I want to, sometimes people don't do it so well. Like, let me show you a few examples right here. So, uh, if you look at the stairs on the right, like, how is the handrail supposed to work, man, right? But even worse, for me, the tiles on the left, I would have to move out of that house. Like, I could not live there until that was fixed. That would just drive me nuts. Let me show you two other examples. So, if you look at the one on... <laughs> Look at the one on the right. Okay, dude, you've got two panels. Just two, man. Just get them in the right. Everybody is going to notice that mistake. Now, not everyone would notice the mistake on the left because if you look at it, the sea of college is around the corner on the bricks right there. What I love is that it is the college of architecture and planning. That is fantastic. You had one job. Just one job. All right, you want to see two more? All right, last two. Look at these. So, okay, first with the crosswalk. Like, come on, really? Like, just, just connect the dots. It's not that hard, man. But then you sopped. I, I don't know how to pronounce that. The thing I like, okay, let's just assume for the sake of argument the guy's illiterate and doesn't know how to spell. There's a sign right there, man. Just follow the sign. You had one job. Just one job. It's relevant because in our passage today, Jesus is going to be saying to us, you had one job, just one job. And now before we get to the passage, though, I want to give you a little bit of the context to remind you. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jared gave a great sermon where Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem and he told the disciples, remember, he said, listen, when I get there, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And the disciples didn't quite get it. They were kind of blind to it. So Jesus made a point by healing a blind guy. Remember that? And that was, that was only 17 miles away from Jerusalem. So he's kind of getting close to the end. And then he entered Jericho. If you remember when he entered Jericho, he healed Zacchaeus' life, which was really amazing. It's more than healing a blind guy. He healed a tax collector. Are you kidding me? Mind blown. And so, so he did that. Now, he, when he did, he said, salvation has come. What's going on at this point is the disciples are going, okay, here we go. This is it. It is Messiah time. It is kingdom time. We are about to see the full kingdom of God immediately. And Jesus is like, whoa, hold on. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And so here we pick it up in Luke 19, verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to pump the brakes. He's going to say, well, not yet, not yet. Like, yes, the Messiah dies and then the kingdom comes. That's the correct order, but it's not immediately. There's going to be some time in between those. Now, parents, you know how this goes when uh, your kids say, hey, wh when's Christmas? And, and you say, after Thanksgiving, which is correct. It's the right order. What happens the day after Thanksgiving? Well, first, people fight at Walmart, right? <laughs> but other than that, your kid wakes up and goes, where's Christmas? 
You said it was after Thanksgiving. And you're like, hey, listen, you got the right order, but it's not immediately. So you know what you do? You start counting sleeps, right? How many sleeps until Christmas? I am convinced that the Advent calendar was created not by pastors, but by parents. <laughs> it's a countdown time. It's brilliant. Just look at the wall, man. Leave me alone. Quit asking, right? Like, so it's a countdown because it is the right order, but it's not immediate. There are going to be many sleeps in between. And that's what's going on right here. Jesus is saying to the disciples, they, they thought the full kingdom of God was going to come immediately. And Jesus is saying, no, time out. There's going to be many sleeps in between. You got the order right, but there's going to be some time. And he wants them to catch that. And he wants them to know what to do in that meantime. And he, they he will see that they have just one job. Just one job. So let's look at the story that he tells. We pick it up in Luke 19, verse 12. And I'll warn you, it's a longer passage today. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Now let me pause there because a lot of you are like, what's a mina, right? Okay, it is like, it's basically 50 shekels or 100 drachma, okay? So, that didn't help, did it? No, not at all, okay. So, it's essentially three months' wages for the average worker. Average household income in Stowe today is around 60000 So, in our terms, it's about $15,000. That's a pile of money. That's a pile of money right there. All right, so then we notice that there's this other group, not only as servants, but as citizens. Look at the next sentence there. It says, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now hold on to that group because they're going to come back into the story at the very end. Let's keep going. It says, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing his business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your minna, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, that I, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. What? 
wow, Jesus seems a little saucy there, doesn't he? Like, hey, Peter, did you mess with Jesus and give him decaf? Like, <laughs> you're always messing with, what's going on there? And, and I'll just warn you up front, this is kind of a hard passage. And I, I've chosen not to dumb it down so as to correct Jesus. But, so this won't be a fluffy message. But I'm just going to tell you what Jesus is saying there, okay? Now, as we get into it, I, I've got to acknowledge many of you are probably more familiar with the parable of the talents, What's going on is, I don't know if you've caught comedians time to time, like Gaffigan is a family favorite of ours. And if you catch his show, you'll see repeated jokes and things like that. Like comedians repeat material. If you go to conference, conference speakers have favorite illustrations, favorite passage, they repeat material. If you know Pastor John Piper, he only has one sermon. And he gives it over and over and it's awesome, it's awesome, right? So here you have Jesus He's this itinerant rabbi. He would have more important points that he wants to make repeatedly, favorite stories. And what he would do is he'd tailor it and change it slightly to adjust to the audience and the occasion. And so what Matthew has is the parable of the talents. And the emphasis there is on how we are differently gifted and need to be faithful. But when Jesus is here in Jericho, he's telling the story of the ten minas, and the emphasis there is that we all have just one job. You have one job, one mission, one task. And to unpack that, what we're going to do is see that he talked to three different groups of people, okay? You'll see them listed right here. So on the one hand, there is the faithless the faithless, these are the ones that are living like Jesus isn't king. I don't want him reigning over me. Okay, and then, then there's the faithful. They are living like Jesus is king and he is coming back. And then there's the unfaithful. These are the ones that are saying Jesus is king, but living like he is not coming back. These are the three groups. Now, let's take a look at them in turn. Started out with the, faith, the faithless. These are the ones he started with and ended with. The ones I don't want them reigning over me. They are enemies of Christ and they get slaughtered in the end. Now, Jesus' hypothetical is not so far-fetched. Herod the king, Herod the great, uh, he went to Rome to be made a client king. He went to a faraway country to be, receive a kingship, a country of his own. His son, Archelaus, when he wanted to be made king after Herod's death, he went to Rome to be made king, and the Jews didn't want him to be king, so they sent a delegation to Rome to argue against it, saying, we don't want him to reign over us. See, this has happened. Now, it's not far-fetched, but it is common sense. If you're living in that day and age, you wouldn't have blinked at all at what Jesus said. Like, you, get, you understand, right? When you go and oppose a king and try to get him removed, and when he comes back, he's going to wipe you out. And that's, that's just common sense. Now, in the metaphor of Christ's story, of course, Jesus is the king. And he's going away after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. He's going to go away for many sleeps. It's not going to be immediate. There's going to be some time in between. But he is coming back as a victorious, conquering king. And at that time, he will bring his full kingdom in force. And it's going to be glorious. But there's going to be some time. Now, there are those then, the faithless, who have no faith in the king. They do not want Jesus reigning over them. And this started in the Garden of Eden. 
When we basically said, God, I don't want you as my God. I want to be my own God. I want to rule my life. I've got this. Thanks for nothing. Leave me alone. And we've all done this. All of us have done this. Kick God off the throne of our hearts. And our only hope in the midst of that is not what we do. It's what Jesus has done for us. That's why he's marching to Jerusalem to die on the cross for my rebellion, for your rebellion. And if I put my faith, not faith less, I put my faith in the king, then in that case, Jesus is a gracious and forgiving king. He not only receives us back as his citizens, but also as his friends and brothers and sisters. And so he receives us. And, but, but unfortunately, there are these citizens who are not going to have faith in the king. They are faithless. They reject Jesus' rule and his reign. They reject him as king. They don't want Jesus. And when Jesus returns, he gives them what they want. I want a life without Jesus as king. And Jesus says, okay, now you get eternity. Without me as your king, you get kicked out of the kingdom. That is hell. That's eternity apart from Christ. They get what they want. Those are the faithless. Well, that's happy. So uh, let's, let's talk about the second group, the faithful. These are the ones who are living like Jesus is king and he's coming back. Now let's notice some things about this passage right here. Number one, these faithful servants didn't think that the money belonged to them. If you'll notice in there, they say, your minna has gained 10, not my minna, it's yours, and, and I remembered it's yours, right? See, the longer and longer Christ delays his second coming, the more and more tendency we have to forget that it all belongs to him. And we start to take over and think that it's mine and it belongs to me. It's mine, it's for me, it's for my business and my kingdom. And that's not true. And the faithful servants reminded themselves of that, that it all belongs to God. And then what they did, secondly, they took seriously his command in verse 13 there, where he says, engage in business until I return. Whose business? His business. The king's business, right? They had one job. Just one job. And what they did, thirdly, they worked very hard at that job. Look, when you take one minute and you make 10 more, you understand that's a 1,000% return. Do any of you know a bank that gives a 1,000% interest? If so, please come up and talk to me afterwards. I need in on that, right? No bank does that. These are servants who worked hard and worked smart at the king's business to improve his own kingdom. They worked hard and smart. And the reason they did it Fourth thing I noticed, they did it because they believed the king was coming back. And when he comes back, they believed that he would reward them for their service. And therefore, it came out in their lives. It came out in their actions. It always does. If you think the king is coming back or not, it will come out in your life and in your actions. So if you don't think he's coming back, why work so hard for him? Just go party with his money. But these guys knew he was coming back, and so they worked hard for the king. Now, of course, all of this is a metaphor into our lives, what we are supposed to do before the king returns. And so we got to remember Jesus is king. He is coming back. There will be many sleeps. But in the meantime, his point is, look, I gave you guys a bunch of minna. 
Minna? I don't remember Jesus giving us minna. Well, look at this. Here's some things that he gave to us. He gave us jobs. He gave us homes. He gave us cars. He gave us money. He gave us family. He gave us neighbors. And by that, I mean all your relationships, friends, coworkers, whatever. He gave us a body. And all of you are like, my body's a resource. Okay, that's not, no, no, that's not what it means, right? It means whatever level of health he gave you, he gave you as his minna, Okay. And then there's your mind, your, your intellect, your education, your talents, your skills. There's your time. All those sleeps, that, that is minna. And it belongs to Jesus, and he gave it to us. It's on loan to us to do his business. And what you'll see in the passage is he told us to use those minna to extend his kingdom, to do his business. What's his business? Now, if you remember from last week, Jesus stated it really clearly. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Period. You've got one job. That's the business right there. This is why our church does not want to grow by taking Christians from other churches. That's just reshuffling the kingdom of God. If you came from another church, you're welcome. We love you. But our goal is to see redemption stories. That's why we called it Redemption Chapel. But this is not just the business of churches. This is the business of Christians. We are supposed to participate in this. We're supposed to spread the gospel, to invite others into relationship with Jesus, to extend his kingdom, which means we should not be selfish. Listen, we who have received Christ, we've, through that, we got life, freedom, joy, peace, redemption, forgiveness. It's awesome. Don't be selfish. Go give it away and let other people experience. Go spread the kingdom. That's his business. You've got one job. And he is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to look you in the eyes and he's going to say, what did you do with my minna? And he's going to reward us accordingly to our answer. Now, understand what that means. It's pretty clear here. There are different levels of eternal reward. Some of you are wrestling right now. You're going, wait a minute, Pastor Rick. Uh, You and Pastor Jared tell us all the time that it's not about what we do. It's about what Christ did. That's how we get into heaven. And you're darn right. That's the first judgment. The Bible speaks about two judgments. Okay? There's the first and the second. So the first judgment is a pass-fail thing. Okay? Like, do you reject Jesus or receive Jesus? Like, when people came forward last week, got a compass, they were receiving Christ. Okay, that's and they are in, and that's what gets you into heaven. It's all based on the work of Christ, what he did for you. You do nothing to add to it. But there is a second judgment that the Bible speaks about. And that is where we are judged according to our deeds in the body and what we did for the kingdom. Which means in heaven, there are differing levels of eternal reward. Some of you are like, wait a minute, how can that be? I'm in heaven, and this guy's got way more than me? I'm going to be like, hey, he's got more than me. What are you, five? Stop it, okay? Listen, understand that in heaven, all envy has been removed, okay? So because envy's gone, I'm going to look at that guy. Maybe he was a martyr for Christ, and I'm going to go, man, you did so well on earth. Uh, Praise Jesus for that. You've got more. I'm so thrilled for you. That's the way that goes. I've heard someone say that it's like uh, we all have different size glasses in heaven, and they're all full. 
Okay? So your glass is full. You're content. But somebody might have a bigger one than you. They serve more. Okay? Now, what's going on then is Jesus is being very, very clear. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Okay, that was Maximus from Gladiator. But, but, but it's biblically true. It's biblically true. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And that's the faithful servants and what Jesus wants us to learn there. Now, there is a third group that we need to talk about. And this is where it gets a little bit sticky, perhaps. The unfaithful servants. These are those who say that Jesus is king, but live like he's never coming back. And as you look at the scriptures there, you can notice a couple things. Number one, the faithful, excuse me, the unfaithful servant didn't do his job. You've got one job. Christ came, he, he gave 10 servants, each a minna, and he told them to engage in business until I come. And this guy didn't do it. He didn't do his job. One of the reasons, it seems like, he was afraid of messing up. So he just didn't do kingdom business. Now clearly the king would rather he try and fail than not try. And it reminded me of uh, this wonderful quote from Teddy Roosevelt. Some of you have heard this before. It's longer, but it's so worth it. Listen to this. He said, it's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and no shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Jesus gave us one job. And if we fail, let's fail swinging for the fences. I mean, let's go for that. And maybe, maybe you're saying, well, but I'm not doing any bad things. But maybe you're doing nothing. And that's a bad thing. Jesus wants us to go for it. Now, uh, another thing that I notice about this unfaithful servant is that he is acting like the minna is his. Like it belongs to him. Now, it actually belongs to the king, and, and if he knew that, he would do what the king said to do with it, which is to go engage in the king's business. Instead, he hides it away in a drawer. Why? Well, understand something. Remember, this nobleman is going on a journey to a far country. Travel in that time was very unsafe. A lot of people died on long journeys. So it's possible that this, this nobleman's never coming back. Now, if the servant takes that minna and he goes and puts it on file at a bank like he invested at a bank, now there's a record and when the king comes back, that minna goes to the king, right? If the king never comes back, the minna goes to his heirs. 
Ah, but if I hide it in a drawer and the king never comes back, who gets the minna? I do. It's mine. It belongs to me. That's what's going on there. And so the issue is one of ownership. To whom does the minna belong? And Jesus, in his story, makes this real clear when toward the end he says, take the minna from that guy and give it to the guy who has ten. And we all go, dude, that guy already has ten. In fact, Jesus knew we'd say it, so he even stuck it in there. He has ten. Why give it to that guy? Time out. It's all about who owns the minna. I want you to think for a moment. Let's say you have an extra $15,000 laying around and you want to invest it. You've got an investment that is already paying off at 1,000%. It's not some fluke, some short-term thing. This has been going on for many sleeps. This is a long-term, solid, 1,000% payoff investment. Where are you putting your $15,000? Because it belongs to you. You're the king. You invest it where it pays off. We object to that because we think the minas belong to the servants. And we think that's not very fair. But they don't belong to the servants. They belong to the king. Do you see it? Belongs to the king. God has given us all kinds of resources to invest. They're his and we're to invest them in his kingdom business. And we are way off track when we start to think they belong to us. Now, Another thing I think I, I, I see here is I, I wonder if this is in a big dose for the unfaithful servant, a big dose of religion instead of relationship. It, it seems to me that he doesn't love the king. It, instead, he just fears him, sees him as strict and severe. He doesn't have vision for his kingdom. He doesn't expect a blessing and relationship from this king. That's totally religion. Now, the other servants seem to have relationship. They love the king. They're not like the faithless citizens who reject the king. They're in relationship, right? And they're loving them. Now, in light of that, many ask after reading this parable, they say, okay, well, but that unfaithful servant, is he of the saved or the unsaved? Like, is that guy going to heaven or hell? We don't know. We just don't know. There are passages in the scripture where people uh, evidently will go to God and say, Lord, didn't we do this, that, and the other thing in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Never had relationship. We only had religion. You're not one of mine. But then there are other indicators like 1 Corinthians 3 where all our works get tested by fire and the things that we've done for Christ end up in eternal treasure. That's a second judgment. But there are some who everything gets torched. Because they did nothing for Christ. And they get to enter heaven, but by the skin of their teeth. I mean, like, you go to heaven buck naked. Right? You got nothing, right? So that's in there. Maybe it's, uh, we don't know which this guy is. We're not sure because we can't judge hearts. We don't know. At best, this unfaithful servant completely lacks eternal reward. At worst, he goes to hell. Neither is a great thing to pursue as a life goal. So I would suggest don't be that guy would be Jesus' point there. Now, the unfaithful servant, the reason why I think he goes there is because he really doesn't think that the king is coming back. Remember the first and second servant really believed the king would come back and they give an account they would be rewarded so they worked really hard and it was worth it. But if you don't think the king's coming back, why do all that effort? Why do all that work for his kingdom? He's never coming back. 
What a waste of time. Just take that money, that 15 grand, and go have a blast, man. Go spend it. Go to Target. That'd be like two trips, right? So, <laughs> no, but, but like, go, go for it. Don't waste your time on the king's kingdom. He's never coming back. What I'm saying here is whether or not you think the king is coming back will show up in your life and your actions. Actually, it's maybe better stated this way. Right now, your life and your actions are indicating whether or not you think the king's coming back. You see that? That's Jesus' point right there. So let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say it's 1997. And God comes to you and says, I want you to invest $1,000 in Amazon. Now, to make this a little bit more accurate, it's not your money, it's God's money. You're the investment broker. And he says, I want you to invest $1,000 in Amazon. Now, uh, would you do it? And all of you say, well, sure I would. Because one, you're in church, okay? <laughs> Secondly, because it's a hypothetical. But thirdly, because it's 2020. And in 2020, we literally have 2020 hindsight. And we can look backwards and we now know that that $1,000 in 1997, if invested in Amazon, do you know what that would be worth today? $1.5 million. You know that now. In 1997, you don't know that. In 1997, there's no e-commerce boom. Amazon isn't a big deal. And you're looking at God going, Amazon, really? Are you sure? God's like, trust me, I see the future. Like one of you sees the future, one of you doesn't. Okay, so why don't you invest where he tells you to invest? Doesn't that just make sense? But in 1997, you don't have 2020 knowledge. You have 1997 knowledge, but you have this. Do you or do you not trust the king? That's all you have. Do you or do you not trust him? And so the unfaithful servant, what he did is he threw this wild party with a thousand bucks because he's saying he's not coming back. I don't trust him. It's all bunk. But we have to say, I trust Jesus and I will invest where he tells me to invest. And that's the kingdom to go do his business. So to, to try to wrap this up a little bit, let me ask you this. Do you believe, and by that I mean, do you live like the king is coming back? All right, how about this? If you knew 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is coming back two years from today, how much would your life change? A lot, right? Okay. How about this? If you knew 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is never coming back. How much would your life change? Not as much, right? You see that? That's very revealing. That's very revealing. He is coming back, and it, there will be many sleeps until he comes back. And until then, you've got one job, just one job. And that is to go advance the kingdom of God. That's it. In fact, as a church, we talk about know, grow, go. Know Jesus personally. That's where a lot of people came forward last week and entered a relationship with him. Then grow in relationship with him. But then thirdly, go advance his kingdom. You have one job. Go advance his kingdom. What would that look like? 
Well, I imagine if I get busy doing the king's business with the king's resources, I imagine I'm getting really generous in my giving. I'm probably serving at church and outside church. I might be going, meaning I might be saying, God, where do you want me to live? Is this the best neighborhood for me to live in to advance your kingdom? The best city, the best town? Do you want me to move to another state, another country? I might literally have to go to advance his kingdom. And I might be telling people about Jesus. You're like, Pastor, that sounds like evangelism. I might be a Jesus freak. (laughs) Yeah, you might be. Listen, uh, if you don't want to tell people about Jesus because of what they might think of you, then I might suggest to you that you probably don't think the king's coming back. Because if you think he's coming back, we might be a little bit more vocal because we want others to experience the kingdom too because we love them. And we want to share it. We don't want to be selfish. See, God has given us resources to go get it done. And those resources, they don't belong to us. They belong to him. And what I want you to catch is this. Jesus didn't do the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection so that you can pursue the American dream. That's your business. That's not his business. And there's a hurting, broken world out there. And Christ came to rescue it. Now, fortunately, he called us. He adopted us. Then he empowered us with his Holy Spirit. He equipped us with his gospel. He's given us many resources and talents. Now go get it done. And it is so worth it. Listen, when we engage in the king's business, that's what leads to redemption stories that we love. That's what leads to the baptism stories that we love. That's what leads to people coming up and getting compasses. And then at the end of it, the king comes back and rewards us accordingly. Or, or, you can say that you believe in the king, but live like he's not coming back. And then he will come back. And he will say, what did you do with my minna? And you will look him in the eyes and you will say, well, I went to church regularly. And uh, I was able to retire early. Uh, And and my kids all have good jobs. Uh, Oh, oh, and they all vote according to my political party. And I fear he will look at you and say, you had one job. Just one job. May we be faithful. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, come before you humbly because we admit that we've all screwed it up. At some point, we've all been faithless. We've kicked you out. And yet, most of us here have returned you and asked for your forgiveness and received you. And thank you for the grace represented in that. We don't deserve it. That you would make us part of your kingdom. Thank you. And then you've given us minna, resources, that we might go advance the kingdom of God. To do your business, not ours. Lord, we have often been unfaithful, thinking that it's ours and for us. We repent of that now. We ask you to lead us into a place where we would be faithful servants, going gangbusters for your kingdom, just swinging for the fences, seeing your kingdom advance and then waiting for you to return so that we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Take us there, Lord, please. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.